How can we navigate uncertainty in the workplace? How can we turn what-ifs to what-is? What do acceptance and control look like in a post-pandemic world? My name is Lottie. I'm a writer and cultural critic based at the University of Cambridge. In this series, I want to dive a little deeper into our human skills with the help of movies, literature and art. We can learn a lot from the culture we surround ourselves with. Creativity is an indicator of how we think and feel, how we relate to and communicate with each other. Let's look at how we can understand our skills through culture, from cartoons to classical music. Maybe you'll start to get a little more creative. On today's episode, how can we manage our responses to unprecedented events? What can atonal music teach us about the beauty of the unexpected? I want to talk about uncertainty. I'm Lottie Walker, and this is How to Hatch. Uncertainty is a part of our work and private life. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, ways of living have become more noticeably precarious. However, this sensation of not knowing is nothing new. The climate crisis has gradually led to the displacement and uprooting of lives across the world and continues to do so today. Whilst uncertainty is a part of life... We cannot live in fear of the unknown. There's no use standing outside with an umbrella and waiting for it to rain. So what exactly is uncertainty? Dr Ashley Tiplady, clinical psychologist at NHS Foundation Trust, tells us that uncertainty is not knowing. It's the things in life that aren't yet known to us, or that we're not yet sure about. Your mind might skip to the future and you think, what if I have health issues that I don't know about? Or what if coronavirus rears its head again? Suddenly, you may feel very uneasy. You might not have the words to describe it, but you could feel it in your body or stomach, says Dr Tiplady. Sounds good, right? You might recognise this piece of music. 
It's the first movement from Ludwig van Beethoven's Symphony No. 5. It's one of the most frequently played symphonies and considered a cornerstone of Western classical music. The four-note opening motif is instantly recognisable and was subsequently named the Schicksal motif or the Fate motif, a musical manifestation of fate knocking on the door. This five-bar four-note motif is played by the lower strings, the cello, the double bass and the clarinet. It is repeated throughout the symphony, providing the listener with a home that they return to whilst organised chaos ensues throughout the orchestra. The rhythm... ..is easy to recall and is a defining characteristic of a motif. A motif, quite simply, is a short, memorable unit of music. You can think of a musical motif as like a cup of coffee. I start my day by drinking one coffee in the morning. The day continues. Usually I'll make it to about 10 o'clock before having another cup of coffee. Then 12 o'clock ticks around and I'll have one more. That reminds me, I need to cut down on my caffeine. Motifs as short as just one or two beats worth of music can be glued together to make up a phrase. Typically, motifs are reused throughout a piece to give a sense of continuity to the music. It gives listeners a sense of familiarity, even if the phrase is repeated in a different key or by different instruments. Let's think about motifs in the workplace. Whilst it is important to take your team in new directions with thoughtful and confident leadership, it also requires familiarities that do not overwhelm your mission. For example, you work in a restaurant and as head chef you're about to introduce a new dish to the menu. The recipe is brand new. The flavours are different, however you incorporate a few ingredients from the current menu. Garlic, salt, pepper, a motif is a winning formula, just as important as the new and original musical ideas that reveal themselves throughout a symphony. Typical of symphonies from the classical music period, Beethoven's fifth has four movements. Movements move through keys which invoke a certain feeling. A minor key usually conjures a sense of foreboding or sadness, whilst major keys are triumphant and lively.
The movements will often have different characteristics, which are shaped by how the composer uses rhythm, tonality, performance directions and instrumentation. The first, Allegro con brio, or at a fast tempo with spirit, starts out with two dramatic fortissimo, very loud, phrases. The famous motif commanding the listener's attention and establishing the key of C minor. The second movement, Andante con moto, slowly but with motion, is very lyrical and shifts to the key of A-flat major. In this movement, two themes alternate between different variations. The third, Scherzo Allegro, a movement played in quick and lively tempo, returns to C minor, the same key of the first movement. The movement moves through its opening section, played by the cellos and double basses, then onto a contrasting theme played by the wind instruments, such as flutes and clarinets. and the fourth and final Allegro Presto, which transitions quickly from the third with a sense of urgency. Beethoven does do something unexpected by ending a symphony that began in a minor key in a major key. Usually, a symphony which begins in the minor key would end in the minor key. The grand finale rings out triumphant with 29 bars of C major chords played fortissimo. Beethoven's fifth encompasses the classical music tradition and continues to be played and interpreted more than two centuries after its premiere. The classical music period was characterised by the familiar structure and tonal style of its composers. At the dawn of the early 20th century, after many centuries of tonal music, 
atonality began emerging from the avant-garde scene in Vienna. Its pioneer was the Austrian composer Arnold Schoenberg, who embraced dissonance and frequent chromaticism. A few characteristics define atonal music. To begin with, there is no tonal centre. Atonal music does not exist in a major key or minor key. No single note feels like the root of an atonal piece. Atonality plays around with the chromatic scale. In Western music, the chromatic scale is a 12-note scale that involves all available pitches played in order. It sounds like this. Each interval in the chromatic scale goes up by one semitone. Atonal music can be strictly or loosely organised. The strictest form of atonal music composition is Arnold Schoenberg's 12-tone serial method, which prescribes a specific tone row of notes that cannot be altered. On the other extreme, free atonality does not have strict compositional rules and extends endless possibilities to a composer. Our experience of music engages with pleasure and invokes a strong experience in the listener. However, most studies concerning music focus on the experience of Western tonal music, such as works of the classical period, like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. These works are characterised by tonal organisation and consistency. This narrow focus excludes alternative experiences of music, such as that of atonal music, which, while lacking a tonal hierarchical structure and being hard to predict, is nevertheless enjoyed by a group of avid listeners. How can we apply the principles of atonal music to shake up the workplace? It's all very exciting, but I'm not sending you down the rabbit hole without a flashlight. Not yet. Let's start with our tonal centre. In the workplace, a tonal centre could be thought of as the familiar protocols and patterns that you have adopted as a company. 
the default answers to the questions you and your colleagues encounter daily. It's the core values and principles you return to when actively working as part of a team. They're essential parts of your business, and I'm not asking you to get rid of them entirely. But have you thought lately about adding new core values or reinventing the ones you already possess? Experiment, improvise, and work with instead of against the unexpected. This is all a part of risk-taking. Scary stuff, right? Not to worry. All of this comes installed with a safety net. Sort of. Atonal music is not completely devoid of structure. Composers work around the chromatic scale. It sounds unlike the music you'd usually come across, but it is still music. What I like about the chromatic scale is that it covers every inch of our tonal system, exploring the nooks and crannies of musical possibility. Once you've played about, experimented, the direction you take is entirely up to you. The atonal music genre oscillates between strict and loose organisation. Some, like Arnold Schoenberg, wrote to a strict rule of 12 notes. And others abandoned the idea completely and were led by their musical curiosity. Embracing uncertainty in the workplace can liberate us from traditional and trusted patterns in favour of exploring new ones. I like to think about the orchestra when imagining a well-structured workplace. Everyone in position, with their skills, their instruments ready to play. Why not experiment with different music? Exposing ourselves to the unknown and trying something different can only help us to learn and grow. Incorporating the unknown as a part of daily life, accepting that uncertainty, might make more resilient teams in the face of unpredictable futures. In our next episode, what do Greek myths teach us about overcoming hard times? We'll be talking about resilience. You've been listening to How to Hatch, a podcast brought to you by Hatch, a team of futurists, anthropologists, entrepreneurs and artists. The team specialises in the future of work and leadership, consulting professionals from all over the world to improve areas that are considered essential to success in future times. Our work is to pay attention to your work, to strengthen the human capabilities we will need for the future of leadership. Curious about how you can future-proof your workplace? Go to www.iamhatch.com to find out more. See you next time.